0: You know, over the last two weeks, we've talked about the powerful idea of every partner a guide. That's you. Every single person being able to get to the point where they can guide someone spiritually. Peter summed it up nicely. He said this in 1 Peter chapter 2, the last part of verse 9. He said, For you are a chosen people. He's speaking to you. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can. Okay, everyone say, I can. I can. And you got to say it knowing that there's some Navajo tacos after this service, all right? Come on. If you're going to give me some energy, I'll preach quicker, okay? Everybody say, I can. I can. That's right. You can. Woo, that was good. You can show others the goodness of God. You can. Every partner. A guide, you can do it. Peter goes on to say, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So we talked about every partner a guide and we spent some time looking at the priesthood of the believers. Because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, we no longer have to go to a priest. We actually can go directly to the throne of God because Jesus is the high priest. But we, we looked and we saw from scripture that he has made each and every person that is a follower of Jesus Christ A priest. The priesthood of the believers. And last week, we answered the question, what are you equipped for? We're talking about being equipped, being prepared. And so, I tried to answer the question, like, why would you even want to be equipped? And what are you equipped for? And to summarize last week, we condensed it into three categories. You should be equipped, first of all, to love God and to love people. That's what you should be prepared for, equipped for. Secondly, you should be equipped to accomplish the mission that God has given you. He's given you personally a mission. And you need to be prepared and equipped to accomplish that mission. And then thirdly, you should be equipped to be able to guide people to Jesus. To be able to point people to Jesus. We also learned the last two weeks, we learned about the principle of the oikos. Okay, this is a Greek word. Oikos means extended household. And... We use the analogy of, like, let's, let's pretend for just a moment that we're in a big theater and your life is on the stage of that theater. And people that are in the seats of the theater, they're watching your life, they're listening to what you have to say, and hopefully they see Jesus in your life. But There's going to be people up in the balcony in the mezzanine who they are listening, they are watching, but you may not have as much influence with them As you do the people who have the best seats in the house. And the best seats in the house are those who are sitting on your front row. Those people, they know you. They've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. They they know your story and you have influence with those people. And that is the oikos principle. It's your household, but not only your own home, it's your extended household. The Oikos principle. It's those who are on your front row. Last week, I challenged you to write down 8 to 15 people who your life impacts the most. And it could start with your children. It could start with a spouse. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a, um, a classmate. You know, maybe it's uh, someone that you play sports with. But to write down 8 to 15 people that your life impacts on a regular basis Let's look at a couple of verses. What I want to do this morning is I want to remind us scripturally about the oikos principle. So it's not just like some random idea that this bald-headed preacher came up with, you know. like It's biblical. So we're going to look at that. And then we're going to dive into um, how are you equipped? Like how does it work? We're going to dive into the how. So that's my goal this morning. So you know where we're going. So let's look at a couple verses that remind us about the oikos principle. After healing a demon-possessed man... Jesus was very specific about telling him who his relational target was. And let me set the context real quick. This man was demon-possessed, and I think in our day and age, it's kind of hard for us to maybe even relate. Like, I don't know about you, but I I haven't seen someone like frothing at the mouth, demon-possessed. I haven't witnessed that. But I have seen a lot of people who are battling demons, and they're battling addictions, And man, they got some brokenness in their life. So I want to encourage us as I read these verses, let's look at it through that lens. I think we all know people like that who are battling some demons. So this man was battling his demons. He was possessed. He was battling demons. And Jesus healed this man and set him free from his brokenness. So that's the context. And we pick it up in verse 18 of Mark chapter 5. As Jesus was getting into the boat, The man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Like, if you could only imagine, he's been set free by Jesus. Of course, he's going to be like, Jesus, can I go with you? Like, wherever you go, I want to follow you. Where are you going, Jesus? I want to follow you. And I don't know about you, but for me, I would be like, man, this this guy has been transformed. His story is going to be so powerful, it's going to impact a lot of people. I would have been like, come on, fella, let's go. But not Jesus, he handles it differently. So as he's getting into the boat, he begs Jesus to go with him. Verse 19, but Jesus said, no, go home to your family. Go home to your oikos, is the Greek word, and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Jesus knew that his story would have been effective, his story would have been powerful, But what's even more powerful, what's even more effective, is for that man to go home to his oikos, to go home to his front row, his circle of influence, and to tell those people what God has done in his life. We look at another man uh, to see the example of the oikos, a man named Zacchaeus. Maybe those of you that grew up in church, you might have been familiar with the song. I'm not going to sing it for you, but... Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. You know, how many of you know that song? All right, all right. there's a few of us that grew up in church. Zacchaeus was a shorter fella, and there was a time where Jesus was teaching, and there was just a mob of people, and he had to climb up into a tree to be able to see Jesus. So not like Greg, who would have just been able to look over everybody, all right? Zacchaeus had to climb up into a tree to to get a view of Jesus, and after hearing Jesus' teaching, his life was changed. He gave his life to Jesus. And it says this in Luke 19, verse 9. Jesus responded to Zacchaeus. He said, salvation has come to this oikos, to this home today. When Jesus healed the royal official's son, a royal official, his son was dying. Jesus brought transforming, life-giving, healing power and the power of the oikos principle was experienced once again. John 4, says he and his entire household or his oikos believed in Jesus. See, Jesus wants you to take what transformation has happened in your life to your front row, to your circle of influence. Another time, Jesus called Levi to be his disciple. And guess what happened? It says this in Mark 2, 15. Later, Levi Invited Jesus and his disciples to his oikos, to his home, as dinner guests. And along with Jesus came a bunch of tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Listen to this in the parentheses. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I love that. I love that. You might be wondering why Jesus spent so much time with people who were not very religious or who were even considered disreputable sinners. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus the very same thing. Look at Luke 5, 30 and 32. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Like, when I read this about a year and a half to two years ago, I was looking through a completely different perspective, completely different lens. But now I'm here today and I read that and I think about our world today and how divided it is and how, I would say, bitterly divided it is. And I I can hear people saying, I'm not going to even eat with such scum because they're not like me. They don't look like me. They don't vote like me. They think differently than I do. They're scum. Like that's what was happening In this time with Jesus. And in verse 31. I love this. Jesus answered them. And he said. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call. Not those who think they are righteous. But those who know. They are sinners. In need of repentance. I love that. It gives me hope. That's why our vision statement starts with. Imperfect people. Because we're all imperfect. We're all broken. And Jesus has come to rescue and to redeem those who are broken. But it started with Jesus going to Levi's oikos, his home. We find another example. I'm just trying to to give you some biblical uh, teaching on the principle of the oikos. Another example in Acts chapter 10 where we read about an entire Gentile, which is a non-Jew, an entire Gentile oikos or household coming to faith in Jesus. A man named Cornelius committed to follow Jesus after he had heard Peter present the gospel. Peter taught the gospel, and Cornelius gave his life to Jesus. And then his entire front row became followers of Jesus. And when Peter went back to the church in Jerusalem, he went back to the leaders in in Jerusalem to kind of give a report on what had happened. Peter reflected on what an angel had told Cornelius about Peter in this message. So this is found in Acts 11 and verse 14. So this was actually from an angel to Cornelius. This was before he gave his life to Jesus. It says, he, speaking of Peter, will tell you will, will tell you how you and everyone in your oikos can be saved. Like this angel was basically preparing his heart, setting him up, saying, you need to listen to this man, Peter, because he's gonna tell you the good news of Jesus you see our households have always been the most natural places where our stories are most clearly and powerfully communicated let me just t- let me say it this way most people come to faith around a kitchen table more people come to faith around a kitchen table than they do in a church service just like this more people come to faith like out at the job site or even on athletic fields. like They they come to faith outside of these walls. That's where the transformation happens. And when you come into these walls, you should be getting equipped, being prepared to take the good news of Jesus to your front row. That's the way God intended it. That's the way he set it up. And I want to remind us that The good news about Jesus is best demonstrated or even revealed through personal conversations about faith and even personal demonstrations of faith in Jesus. You see, this principle is so powerful because your front row, they know you. They might come to a church service, but they don't really know me. They know you, though. They trust you. They they live, they work, they play with you. So they're going to be more willing to listen to you than they are even to me. That's the power of this principle. You see, each and every one of us have an oikos. We each have a household or an extended household. Your 8 to 15 people are different than my 8 to 15 people. But it's that world, okay, your world that God wants to transform, that God wants to redeem. He wants to rescue. And your 8 to 15 people all have one common denominator, and that's you. You can speak into their life like no one else can. So last week, we spent time diving into the what. What we're going to do with our remaining time is we're going to talk about the how. Okay, Justin, like, this sounds good. Man, it kind of gives me more purpose. Like, my purpose is really to to reach those who are on my front row, to influence, to serve, to minister to those. But how do I do this, Justin? How does this work? You see, you should be equipped to love well, to accomplish the mission. And you should be equipped to guide your front row spiritually. So how does equipping work? Equipping is a twofold process, okay? It's, it's really a twofold responsibility, I should say. It's kind of like a conversation. In order for a conversation to take place, it takes two parties, right? Two people that are willing to talk and listen to each other. That's when a conversation actually takes place. It's the same thing with equipping. It takes two to be equipped. And we're going to talk about that. And I would add, there's actually a third element because we don't ever want to leave out the Holy Spirit of God. All right? We need to make sure that he's involved in this. So let's talk about the twofold responsibility. It falls to... The pastors and the leaders of the church, they have a responsibility. And the individuals of the church have a responsibility. So let's talk about it. Let's start with the pastors and the leaders of the church. After listing off some some different leadership roles in the church, the Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians 4.12. He said, their responsibility, my job, you could say, The job of of the elders and the pastors and the teachers and the leaders, the responsibility of the leaders is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Like that's my job, is to equip you, to prepare you, to help you impact your front row. That's my job. So let's talk about the church leaders, all right? We're going to use this whiteboard, and I know not everybody's going to have a great view of it. I apologize in advance, but here we go. We're going to do uh, church leaders. Let's talk about it. The first job, that's an asterisk, by the way, all right? (laughs) The church leaders, their first job is teaching. All right? That's the responsibility of the leaders of the church. It's to help the saints grow in their faith, which in turn helps their confidence to grow, and it helps them to better reach their front row, their circles of influence. So the teaching is very, very critical. It's very, very important. And it's, it, it's got to be um, effective in equipping and preparing the saints for the work of ministry. Secondly, the leader's responsibility is to provide growth opportunities. So the leaders are looking for ways to get you, the saints, to to not just hear teaching and receive teaching, because like the Bible says, it says knowledge puffs up. Like we can get so puffed up with knowledge that we explode. You know, we end up becoming arrogant and rude and nobody wants to be around us because we're a know-it-all. Like we don't want that. So you receive teaching, and then the growth opportunities gives you an opportunity to put that teaching into practice. Like, you have to practice what you're being taught. So this would be serving opportunities. This would be our go-out opportunities. It's also an opportunity for you to learn how God has uniquely created you. He's gifted you. And so we have a tool called SHAPE. It's an acronym that stands for spiritual gifts, your heart, abilities, your personality, and your experiences. And and we want you to understand, like, how has God equipped you? How has God prepared you to reach your front row? Those are growth opportunities. Thirdly, the job of the leaders is to do their best to provide community. Once again, the idea of nothing done outside of relationship. We want to do our best to, to help you connect with one another and i think this happens best in the context of a small group where you're meeting with other believers on a weekly basis and and it's not just another to do or like gosh i have to do another religious duty you know it's like man we're all busy people like we don't want to give you more to-dos on your to-do list but we want to provide something for you that helps you to feel equipped like helps you to like you're witnessing or you're encouraging someone on your front row and Maybe you're asked a question you don't know the answer to. You can go to your small group leader. You can go to people in your small group. They'll pray for you. They'll encourage you. And I think community happens best in the context of small groups. There will be other things throughout the year that the leadership of the church will try to provide or try to do to help build community. And a for example is right after the service, like, I don't think there is any better opportunity for community than to gather around some Navajo tacos. Amen? All right? That's what I'm talking about. So hopefully we'll be able to connect and uh, get to know each other better around that. Next, church leaders are responsible to provide oversight. Oversight. And I did not say control. Sometimes leaders, unfortunately, are trying to control everything I like to function from this idea. You can have growth or you can have control, but you can't have both. So I want to release control and I want to help you grow, but we still need oversight. When you look at the word oversight in the scripture, it actually speaks to the idea of inspection. So the leaders are responsible to continually inspect the teachings of the church, the growth opportunities, the community opportunities, and to make sure that everything we're doing is effective. And is working. And if something isn't working, the, the leader should say, hey, let's, let's do away with that. Because it's not effective anymore. We're continually inspecting to make sure that everything is as good as it can possibly be to help you minister to those who are on your front row. And then lastly, the church leaders are responsible to do all of this in love. Okay? If anything happens outside of love, we, we heard from Brian when he read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, that if we do anything outside of love, it's pointless. Like, I could be the most amazing teacher on planet Earth, but if I'm not doing it in love, it's, it's a waste of your time. Like everything has to be done in love. So that's the responsibility of the church leaders when it comes to equipping, all right? Does that make sense, you guys? Make sense? All right, so let's shift gears and let's talk about the individual. Let's talk about you. What's your responsibility in this process? So let's look at the individual. First thing is you're responsible, okay, to be a disciple. That's what you're responsible for. Jesus was the one that said, go into all the world and make disciples disciples and maybe you're like man what does what does disciple even mean disciple means learner you're you're willing to learn you're actually coming in with a teachable spirit you're eager and you're ready there's an old saying that says if you stop learning you stop leading and if you're not learning you're not going to effectively minister to those on your front row so you're always growing you're always learning if you don't have a teachable spirit, you're not going to impact people like you should. When I was back in college, we used to have chapel every week. And when, when I would sit in chapel, you know, they would bring in different speakers. And they always brought in this, this one speaker that, man, he would speak to my soul. Like he was such a powerful communicator. He was, a, um, you know, an older Christian. He had been uh, leading in the church for a, a long time. And man, he was just a, a great teacher. And I loved when he would come to speak, and his name was actually Bob Bear. I loved this guy. And he would speak to me in powerful ways. And I remember there was one chapel service where Bob was actually, he walked in the doors. I used to sit in the back, and uh, I kind of chuckle. It's a long story, all right? But I used to sit in the back, and he he walked into the front, and he came, and he sat on the front row. And that chapel service, they had a younger preacher. He was actually a student at the college, and he came, and he was presenting, and He was teaching, and I remember Bob got out his notebook, and he was listening to this younger teacher that he could have taught this young pastor a gazillion things, but instead, Bob had his notebook open, and he was taking notes just like furiously. Like, he was just taking notes, and he was listening and writing all this stuff down, and I remember sitting in the back watching him going, my gosh, I love that. Like, he's learning From a younger leader. And I tried to practice that as I um, began to move forward in in my faith and in my ministry. As I have a notebook and I listen to other teachers, and I I just want to learn. And I don't want to be too mature, right? To learn. We're never going to be that mature. I don't want to be that mature. I want to continually learn. Second year responsibility is to be willing to grow. Willing to grow. Like, simply put, when you stop growing, you, you start dying. So I want to encourage you to make a commitment to grow. And, and how does this growth happen? It's like, man, that kind of sounds like being a disciple. They're different, actually. You're willing to learn. And then to grow means you take that learning and you put it into practice. Like Solomon said, he, he broke it into three categories. He said, we need to grow in wisdom and in knowledge. And in understanding. And I've always understood it this way knowledge is book smarts, wisdom is street smarts, and when you mix the two together, you have understanding. If you're just camped out on book smarts, you're not really learning. You have to take the book smarts and you have to put it into real life and you have to practice it. And when you mix those two together, like all of a sudden, you're like, oh my gosh. I understand now. This makes sense. We need to be willing to grow in knowledge, in wisdom, and in understanding. Third, you need to be willing to be led. All right? Be willing to be led. James, the brother of Jesus, said it best. He said, The best way to lead is with your ears. It's kind of that idea of being slow to speak. And quick to listen, and that starts with the heart. Like you got to be willing to, once again, humble yourself. Like I know when I meet with the pastor team, when I meet with elders, when I meet with Craig. Like I'm in room. I'm in a room with people that are much smarter than I am, and that's the way I want it to be, because I want to learn from them, I want to grow from them, and I want to be willing to be led myself. If you're truly in a relationship with someone you're willing to listen to what they have to say, you know, being willing to be led to it, it means you allow others to speak into your life. Like you need people that'll actually tell you the hard things, to say, "Listen, man, like you're going the wrong way, dude," or you're 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 kind of off the rails here. Like we need to have those kind of relationships. We need to be equipped for that. And then next, you need to be willing to serve That's a V there. (laughs) I hope I haven't spelled anything wrong. I probably have. (laughs) I do all the time. All right. Listen, we should all grow to the point. Once again, I am kind of saying this, and it's pretty much like this one, but I just wanted to hit it again, to be honest with you, because we have to be willing to put into practice the things that we've learned. Knowledge applied is when you truly learn, and it takes guts. It takes faith. To actually step out and, and have a spiritual conversation with someone. Like, it's hard to do that. I've been a pastor for a long time and I'm still intimidated by that sometimes. But we need to equip, we need to be equipped for those conversations. Lastly, your responsibility is to do all of this in love. See how that works? <laughs> Man, if we're all Practicing love. Remember, love doesn't envy. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. And read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I think it's going to work. But it takes church leaders equipping, doing everything we can to empower and to equip you to reach your front row. And then it takes you, the individual, being willing to be equipped. And then taking what you've learned and putting it into practice. And when those who are called to equip, the leaders of the church, really do equip, and when you, the people, show up to be equipped and trained, empowered and trusted with ministry, everyone wins. Like the equippers win, those who are being equipped, the church, and especially the community wins because they get to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. And not just hear it, they get to see it in action. And God gets all the glory because it was his incredible idea. See, the organized church, you might wonder like, man, why does the organized church, I've had so many people like, I hate the organized church, you know, and I'm against the organized church. Let me try to just calm the waters about the organized church. The reason why we gather on weekends like this, the organized church, is for one sole purpose. Outside of honoring God and glorifying him, it exists for one sole purpose And that is to prepare you to fulfill your purpose of reaching those on your front row. That's the sole purpose of why we do this. It's the sole purpose. And As we begin to understand this better and better, the gathering of the ecclesia, which means a group of people, it no longer feels like a a burden. Like, my gosh, I, I don't want you to feel burdened when you come to church. I really don't. I want you to feel like I need this because I need to reach those who are on my front row. I need to reach my uncle. I need to reach my sister. I need to reach my wife. Like I need, I need this. I need to be equipped. I need to continue, continually learn. And then when we view church that way, it becomes more of a necessity than a burden because we need what it provides. And really, the rest of our week depends on it. I'm going to invite the band to come up on stage and I'm going to end this morning by just restating the challenge that I gave last week. And that was to to write down eight to 15 people who sit on your front row. And remember I shared last week, I'm going to say it again. If you have a perspective individually that I'm going to reach everyone, you end up reaching no one. So if you would laser your focus to actually those who you have influence with, those who are on your front row. Imagine if each and every one of us did that. Like the ripple effect would be tremendous. It would be amazing. So I challenge you to write down eight to 15 people you have influence with. Write their names down. And then what I want to ask you to do is to begin to pray for them by name. Like begin to pray for them specifically. That means you got to listen to what's going on in their life. Pray for their specific needs and then do everything you can to be, I think this is most important, to just be a good friend. To like love them super well and to meet their needs, to serve them, to laugh with them, play with them, to hang out, build better friendships, to build that trust. And, And when the opportunity arises, and we're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks, like we don't want to be kicking down doors (laughs) because usually that just scares people off but man when the holy spirit says now is the time you you are equipped to share your story to share your faith i think if we all had a focus like that on our 8 to 15 and special things are going to happen and i think we're going to begin having this hot tub set up every week because people are going to come to faith on a regular basis Seriously. And once again, just to end it, the reason we do any of this is because Jesus is that good. Like, that's why we put effort into this. And listen, we want everyone to know him, we want everyone to experience his love. That's why we do this. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, thank you for this teaching. Thank you for the Oikos principle. It has really given me hope in realizing that everyone can do this. You don't have to be a Christian professional. And we can all be a good friend. We can all love well. We can all get to the point where we can share our story and share our faith and meet people's needs. And Lord, help us to be intentional about those people who sit on our front row. And I pray that we would minister to them well and effectively Father, I pray that through this teaching, through this principle, that you would begin to transform many lives. We would see many people come to faith in Jesus, many people baptized. We would see the fruit of this. We would see marriages healed and restored. We would see people set free from addictions. We would see people set free from the bondage of debt. And Lord, just an abundance of other good fruit, Lord, would come from this. I know we all desire that. We all dream for it. But help us to put this principle into practice so that we can see it happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.